The following is produced by Artisan Church. Welcome to the Artisan Church Podcast, a weekly broadcast of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. To learn more about Artisan Church or to support the ministry, visit www.artisanchurch.com. We um, have recently had two of our members go to Uganda and participate in the work of the Ugandan Water Project, with which any of you who are regulars here are familiar. They're our, our best friends in Africa. <laughs> really, they're our only friends there, but I mean, who counts, that kind of thing. Um, and Mel and Liz recently returned from a trip there, and they have some things to report. And so they're going to do that before we have a sermon this morning. So Mel and Liz, um, you guys have... Two and a half minutes ago. No, just kidding. <laughs> uh, how's it going? <laughs> um, my name is Mel, and I went with Liz to Uganda um, about a month ago. We got back, and it was some of the coolest things I've ever experienced ever. <laughs> um, I was taking a photo. I, you were nowhere near, so you, this is the first time you're actually hearing this. I was taking a photo, um, and it's actually not one that's posted up here, but... Um, the person in the photo wanted to see the photo after I took it, so I showed it to him, and he goes, um, I said, I'm going to take this home and edit it and show all my friends, and he said, that's great. Please tell them about us. And so um, I will. <laughs> um, this photo is, we did a work day while we were um, part, doing part of a youth conference thing, which Youth conference for them just means anybody who's around. So there were lots of people, adults and small children, and every, everybody was there from churches all around. They came. Um, and so this girl in the red shirt um, and blue, red sweatshirt, anyway, her name is Violet. And um, I thought that was pretty cool because I'm in a band called Violet Mary. So I told her about, about that, and she thought that was really neat. So she's like, wow, that's really neat. Uh, <laughs> and um, so anyway, I met her while we were working um, there's, you can kind of see a little path behind there. We were cleaning that up um, just from some garbage and debris and stuff. And um, we were talking for about 10 minutes. She's telling me a little bit about her life and about her family. And then all of a sudden, just out of the blue, she said, would you like to be my friend? And I thought, what a weird thing, because I'm not that kind of bold person. <laughs> I just walk up to somebody I've only known for two minutes and say, hey, let's be friends. But for her, that really meant something. And I answered her, yes, I would like to be your friend. And I felt that very genuine, very genuinely. So that's Violet. (laughs) Um, So you can switch to the next picture. And that's me making a funny face, sweeping a dirt road. (laughs) And um, I I bring this up just because I had a a moment where I felt um, this is very surreal because I'm sweeping dirt off of a dirt road. So it was kind of, it's just a moment and... I had a, that was part of the work day, and it was really neat, but I was sweeping dirt from a dirt road. <laughs> and it was very clean afterward. <laughs> um, okay, so you can go on. We also spent some time, um, not enough time, and I hope to go back and spend more time, um, in a place called Chivalu, and it's the slums. Um, and so we went there, and we met so many children, <laughs> um, big and small, um, and they were living there. They were just living in the streets. Some of them had families. Some of them didn't. And they were just all together um, living in the street. And so they had this program 
um, where on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, the kids will come, and the first thing they do is take a bath. So they're given soap, and they clean, they get clean, and then they eat a meal together, and then they have school where they read and they learn math, and so like school, and then afterwards they do um, some Bible study type things. So they do that three times a week, and the children come and take part in that, and um, they just got a basketball hoop, and that was what was on it, and I felt really weird looking at that and feeling like looking around me and seeing the dirt and the waste and the despair. But then I saw these children and they were all smiling and that was what I saw. I'm sorry. (laughs) So I thought that was really interesting because I looked around me and I thought, this is their kingdom. But they didn't feel that way. So that's that. (laughs) I promised myself I wouldn't do that. So you can switch to the next slide. And some of these next pictures are some of the children that we met. And as you can see, um, this little boy is drumming. I didn't get the picture of the drum in there, but this little boy is drumming. And he was a very good drummer, and he drummed for a long time, and I was happy to listen to him drum. (laughs) So this is him drumming. Um, You can go to the next one. This is a little girl named Marion, and um, she stood and watched. She never said a word the entire time. She just kind of watched everybody. And I would probably say she's maybe about two. Um, She was not with any family. Um, She just was there by herself. And I snapped a picture of her and kind of smiled at her and then was kind of carried away by some other children to play um, soccer. And when I was done with that, I just was kind of turned around and I felt this little hand, and it was her. And she had came up next to me and wanted to be held, and that's really it. She never said anything. She just wanted to be touched and held. And so from then on, like, she was just passed around. (laughs) Lots of people held Marion, and she was very sweet. And we just determined that her name was Marion. Some of the other children were like, I think that's Marion. So I don't know if that's her name or not, but that's what we were calling her. So that's (laughs) Marion. So you can go to the next one. And um, actually, one of the children, um, as soon as we got cameras out, they were no longer in our hands. They were taking... Um, pictures of themselves. And actually, one of the children from the slum snapped this photo, and I thought it was beautiful. Um, And that's the little drummer boy. And um, this other young man just came to sit down, and the very moment that they just snapped, and I thought they were better photographers than me. (laughs) Um, So you can move on to the next. This is, um, we went up north um, to visit a couple of communities up there, actually one community, um, and we were there for a couple of days, and we were sitting in a church on a Sunday, and I, I, this was the view from out the door of the church, and the um, lace curtain caught my eye, and I thought it was very beautiful, so I wanted to take a picture of someone's home. And I did dental stuff, because I love teeth, and I love people, and I said that before I left to all of you. <laughs> um, so I got to do this twice, um, one at the youth conference and um, one, this is at the same church up north. So these are, this was a Sunday school class that I got to um, teach. And it was a very weird experience because I do this as part of my job here. I get to go around to all the like, little daycares and talk to little kids about um, dental health. And, um, but it was very strange because, of course, none of them spoke my language. And the girl behind me who with her hands up like that, she um, was helping to translate. And I think she did a pretty good job because the children were asking questions about the things that I was saying. So she did a good job of um, communicating to them the, what I was talking about. Um, but it was really strange because usually I get questions at home like, how often should I brush? But um, there they were asking questions like, 
you know, if I don't have toothpaste, can I use sand? So really strange questions that I was not expecting to hear. <laughs> and I said, oh, no, sweetie, please don't use sand on your teeth. That's, that's not great. Um, but <laughs> so we kind of talked a little bit about all of those sorts of things. And that was, it was really, really great. And the kids were wonderful. And they all took some toothbrushes, which some of you helped to donate. And thank you for that. So that's where those went. And I, I loved that. And I came away feeling like I really love my job. <laughs> Um, this is a little boy in um, Kittagoom, which is where we were up north, and I thought he was beautiful, so I took a picture of him. And you can switch to the next slide. And this is him again. He, this little boy probably is not more than five or six, and he's got a little baby strapped to his back, just kind of hanging on, so you can kind of see the ties and just a little itty-bitty bit of the head of the baby, just carrying him around. Pretty cool. <laughs> These are some huts up north um, in the south. Their huts are constructed differently, so I thought it was kind of cool that you can see the little um, uh, wood rods that kind of hold up in the south. I believe those rods are inside, and they kind of build around them. But, um, so th these are um, some people's homes up north. This is, we went for a walk. We were also with um, a film team that were making a documentary and so um, when the rest of the Uganda Water Project team left to go home, Liz and I were there for another week with this film crew. And um, while we were up north, we um, wanted to, the film crew wanted to find a story that they could um, document. And so we just went. We got in our car and drove until we couldn't really drive on the roads anymore. And then we got out and we walked. And we came to this um, family. And they were just um, sitting there. And we had a translator with us. Um, he didn't know them from Adam, so we were all strangers to each other, but they were very accommodating and very happy to see people. And um, so this is, um, I believe she's the grandmother, the one in the blue, and then it's just a whole big family that's with each other. Um, and so they, um, the film crew did, they allowed the film crew to ask them questions and interview them and, um, and tape their story. So it was pretty neat because they were we were all strangers to, to each other, so I thought it was really interesting that they were happy to tell their story. So you can switch to the next slide. And this is a potato patch. This is the only brown dirt I saw on my entire trip. Every, all their dirt is very, very red, and they make um, lots and lots of bricks. So if you've ever played Settlers, they, uh, they have lots of brick to trade <laughs> um, <laughs> for whatever. <laughs> They also have sheep, so, you know, they might need other things. <laughs> um, but anyway, I thought the potato patch was really beautiful, and they just, I think this is a sweet potato patch. Um, but it was the only um, dark soil that I saw, and it kind of reminded me of home a little bit until I looked up and saw the hut, and then I thought, I'm not at home. <laughs> um, so you can switch to the next one. This is a borehole. Liz also has a picture, I think, of a borehole. Um, so when we were with this family, we walked um, probably maybe about a half a mile from their house, give or take, um, to this borehole. And this is their water source. Um, this is also the water source for families all the way around. And there's paths leading up, like five or six paths, different paths leading up. So that one borehole serves a lot of people for miles around. And so they all walk um, and they get their water there. And this is my favorite picture of the entire time. Um, this woman was just walking back, and I thought, 
she didn't turn around until I had my camera out, and then I felt kind of embarrassed, and I didn't want her to feel as though I was exploiting her, but it was a beautiful photo, and I was taken by the fact that that can that's on her head is probably at least 30 pounds, if not more, um, and she's just and she has her hand on it now, but before she wasn't, she was just carrying it on her head, and she's got that little baby strapped to her back, and in perfect balance, she was just walking with her burden, and I thought that was a very beautiful thing, and she turned just as I was taking the photo, and it just made it all the more um, beautiful to me. And I look at that picture, and I think, good Lord, I am not strong like that. (laughs) But she was very beautiful. Um, And then I think this next one is the last one. Uh, (laughs) It is the last one. I just put a fun one in there because this is a fun thing that we did. These are, this is the Nile River, and Liz and I got in a very tiny raft with, like, ten other people, and we went over those crazy raging rapids in a little raft, and the guy, I'd never been whitewater rafting before ever in my whole life. I guess these are class five rapids, and I guess class six, you just don't go in because you die. So, (laughs) for my first time, I thought, well, hey, you know, but, you know, I figured I'm in Africa, why not? So, I get in this little boat, and you sit on the side because I didn't know. I'm like, wait, you don't get in the boat, you have to sit on the side of it? Oh, dear. But we made it through, and it was really exciting and fun, and I've never done anything like that before. It was very exhilarating. And after, um, the guide said, um, who wants to get out and swim to shore? And I thought, swim in the Nile? Absolutely. So we all swam. Not all of us, but most of us jumped out, and the water was very warm. And then afterwards, we got out, and people are like, you know there's piranhas in there, right? I'm like, what? I didn't even think about that. I just only thought about getting in the Nile. So... (laughs) Um, In short, um, it was an exhilarating experience. Um, I would like to go back. Um, I met a lot of people there that I would like to meet again. And I really, my purpose in in going back and thinking about going back, and we have Dave Ramsey envelopes taped to our wall, and um, I'm going to be putting cash in there towards the next time I can go back. And I really want to go back um, and do more dental work there because there was a great need for that. And... um, Again, as I said, I love teeth and I love people, and those two work really well together. So that's, that's my story. <laughs> so it was really exciting to go back because this was my second trip. Um, for those of you who don't know, a little bit of the story is that we have worked as a church with an organization called the Ugandan Water Project, and that's who we went over with. Um, and they help connect communities in the states and communities over there to fund rainwater collection tanks because there are a lot of people in Uganda who don't have clean drinking water. And there are a lot of children who die from simple things like diarrhea and dysentery because they don't have clean drinking water. Um, But the interesting fact is that it rains about twice as much as it does here over there in Uganda. They have quite a bit of rain. And so if we can help provide these rainwater collection tanks, then they have a much better opportunity to have clean drinking water and cooking water and things like that for the community. So I went in February, and it was a wonderful experience. I met a lot of great people, and my heart was to go back. And so I was able to in August with Mel. And one of the projects that I got to do there was for my graduate work that I'm doing. And so for a couple of the days, Mel was my grad assistant. I paid her in hugs. And uh, (laughs) even though she's, yeah, even though she's not a hug person. Um, And so I got to go and... A couple days in the mornings and in the afternoons, we went to a school, and I did some music teaching, and one of the teachers there did some music teaching and videotaped it, and then now I get to spend the next 
chunk of time writing a paper on it. So, you know, that's the exciting part. I'll let you all know when it's ready because I know you're just waiting with bated breath to read my paper about this research project. Um, but it was actually a really cool experience to go. These, these were the guys that were in the class. And uh, they, they I, we just had to work with them and get to know them. And I got to teach them music, and I love teaching music. So um, that was a bonus. And one of the days, one of the things we did was um, we had tea with them just to get to know them, to kind of get sort of the background scoop about the school and and that was that was really cool to spend time with these students and um, kind of love on them. And and so I'm excited to go back. I kept saying to Mel throughout the rest of the trip, oh, I could do a research project on this, and, and I could do one on this. And she's just like, uh-huh, okay, good for you. So so I hope to go back someday and do some of that. So that was a definite highlight of the trip. Um, this So I wanted to tell you a little bit about the water situation there. This is what a water hole looks like. As we were walking along in the north, we were just walking in the grass is way over our heads, and there's sort of this little path that you can walk through. And then there's like a rock and just a hole with water in it. And that's, this is exactly where they go if they don't have a borehole well um, and they don't have a water tank. They go to a hole like this. And as you can see, it's not particularly clean water. There are no fences around it to keep the cows out or the chickens or the goats, which are everywhere. And uh, so this is some of the, the water that they, I mean, if they're thirsty, this is where you go. This is the borehole well. We saw a couple of them. And one of the interesting things about them is, I, I don't know, I didn't know very much about wells, um, but they dig it down till they hit the water table. And sometimes they stop right when they hit the water table. But what they should do is they should keep going a ways into it because, you know, underneath all of the rock on the earth, there's this kind of hole where the water is. And, and the water level fluctuates in there just like it does here. And many of you experienced this. The water table went up in April when it rained a lot and into your basement or at least into mine. And I thought, oh, if they could come drink this water. No. Um, and so for, for this well... Um, you know, if nobody's been pumping water, when you come up to it, you might have to pump for 15, 20, 30 minutes just to get water to come up. And one of the wells, it was really easy to pump. And the other one, I was like, oh, my, my arm just hurt. And I did it for five minutes. And I'm looking at these women and these children, and they just pump water like crazy. And I thought, you're very strong and patient. So this is, this is another place where they can get water. And the third one is a water tank. Um, and these tanks are 10,000 liter tanks, and they are made of a polyethylene plastic, which is sort of a super plastic. And they last about 30 to 35 years, and they can have enough water in it for about 100 families. So having a couple of these water tanks in a community is really good. Um, and they have these jerry cans, and this is where they fill it up. So this is a great opportunity um, that we've been given to fund some of these tanks, and we've done a couple of them in different communities. And this particular one that you're looking at is on a school. So now the kids in school have water. So they have access to that, which is such a blessing to them. The, in the next picture, I think it's um, the kids were good at carrying the water, too. And as you can see, they put a little cloth on their head to help hold it up. I tried doing that, and I couldn't carry it without putting my hands up. But their heads aren't flat, just like ours aren't flat. So they use that to help them carry it. 
They also will put it on a bike. You see these bikes everywhere, and all the bikes look the same. Either they put um, jerry cans on the back with uh, the water in it, or they have a seat, and they can use it as a, a boda boda, which is a like a taxi. Or they put, you know, everything else you can possibly think of. Lumber, couches, um, chickens. Every, everything that you could possibly imagine would never go on a bike. They put on bikes like this. This is a family um, that I talked about in February or whenever, when I came back, that I met up north. Um, the girl in the front with a necklace on, her name is Flavia, and her mom is wearing the pink shirt. Her name is Pasca. And I met them, and um, in February, I had raised more money than I needed for my trip, so I was able to bring the extra over and give it away to people. And so one of the things that, as a community, we were able to do is help Flavia go to school. She got really, really high marks on her uh, primary exit exams, and she was starting secondary school, but she the schools aren't particularly great up north. Um, and so we helped her go to one of the boarding schools around, and so that was really neat. And then um, there was a group of people that gave me some money to take over to give to her mom so that she could start a business so that she could continually pay for the school fees for the boarding school um, instead of having them depend on us but really empowering the mom to continue helping um, support her family. So that was really neat to be able to go. All of us went in. They invited us into their house, and we sat in there and heard their story. Um, the husband was killed seven years ago by the LRA in the war. Um, the mom, she has, uh, she broke her arm, and it doesn't, it's sort of non-functional. Um, and the, what she does for work is she goes and works in a stone quarry. And it's not the stone quarries that you might think of, you know, the huge, big... It's, um, it looked sort of like where the water was with that rock, and there's just no water in it. And they break it up to large gravel, and, that's, that, and then she can sell that. Um, and so it's, pretty, it's a pretty hard life. So we gave her the funds to start this uh, job, and she and her oldest son, who is all the way on the right in the black, um, he is going to help, and they're going to open a kiosk store, which is sort of like a corner store. So it's really cool to be able to, to see that happen and to, to see the growth there. This is a picture of a hut that I just thought was beautiful. This is where we, uh, the film crew did the interview. And they're drying their clothes on the roof. So, you know, they also, they don't have a clothesline. They just use their roof instead. And then this is um, some of the pictures from the slums. Um, the boys just loved having our cameras, and so she's, there's Mel holding Marion, and another little boy. There were so many of them. I, I really desperately wanted to learn all their names, and they were just all there, and I couldn't remember them all. So we remembered Marion's name and a little girl named Ruth, and so when we go back, we'll hopefully see them again. So it was a really, it was a really good experience. It was a really good um, time to go serve people and love on them and to do what Artisan does in this community and do it in another community over there. And I hope that um, some of you guys will get an opportunity to go in the future. So that's it. Thanks. Thank you both for that report. It was really great to hear. Um, and we do, we do various fundraising efforts for the Uganda Water Project around here about at least once a year, sometimes more often. And 
Um, so it's wonderful to see um, the faces that are affected by that kind of thing. And so thank you all for your incredible generosity uh, toward the people of Uganda, people you've never met, uh, and you are doing the work of Jesus um, in, the, in the lives of those people when you, when you give money toward this kind of thing. Um, we're going to continue in this uh, Jesus on Community series, but before I get into today's topic, um, I want to mention quickly to you an event that's happening here at the church on Wednesday night, and that is the gallery. Um, if you've been around here a while, you've heard about the gallery. It's our quarterly all-church gathering. It starts at 6 with a potluck, and um, actually there's some clipboards on the welcome table that, that are sign-up sheets for the potluck. Um, would you mind grabbing those for me, Trace? I won't send them through right now, but I want to be able to send them through at the end of the service. You can let us know whether you're bringing a dessert or an entree or a side. But uh, it's a wonderful time. If you've never been to one of these, it's a great time. You get to know people a little bit better. You get to eat with them. Let me tell you, I don't know how good potlucks are at other churches, but at this church, they are stellar. Um, So you don't want to miss the food. And then um, we have a kind of a a family meeting. It's not very businessy, but uh, we have a family meeting where we talk about the life of the church and what's coming up and what's been happening. That happens immediately following. And uh, this one is particularly important. We're, we're going to be talking about a couple of things that I know you'll be really interested to hear. One is the, some changes that are being made to our small groups ministry and how that's going to be expanding and, and uh, will provide, I think, a wonderful opportunity for your spiritual growth. And the other one um, is a big one which is related to those posters that you probably noticed on the outside wall about some of the facilities improvements we may be doing here uh, as part of our campaign to purchase and live in this building permanently. Um, so if you have any interest in that at all, you definitely want to be there Wednesday night. Um, we'd love to have you all there. If you're a member here, it's basically our expectation that you attend these quarterly meetings. And if you're not a member, you are more than welcome to be there. But um, obviously, we're not going to take away your birthday if you don't come. So uh, this is our third week talking about Jesus' teaching on community. Uh, what, what, what Jesus' teaching tell us about how we ought to live and Uh, practice our faith when we are together with each other. And uh, we started out by talking in the first week about surrender and how that's kind of the basic uh, foundation for all these other topics. And last week's uh, topic was unity, Um, how there's a power and an authority that comes when we are together gathered in Jesus' name, and uh, what specific actions we should take when somebody within our community sins against us. And uh, I, I don't always say this, but if you, didn't, if you weren't here last week for that, I would really encourage you to go get the podcast audio for that one, um, because Matthew 18, the first part of it, which is what we looked at last week, is one of the, I think, most um, badly applied passages in all the Bible. And uh, so the teaching that we did last week on that, I think, is a really important one, and it, it's, it'll give you a lot of insight into what our, our faith community is like, I think, and, and how we want to live in unity with each other. Um, because unity means staying together in spite of our differences. It doesn't mean that we all have the same opinion about everything. Um, so you can go to artisanchurch.com slash podcast, and you'll find out how to sign up for that. Or if you're an iPod, iPhone, iTunes person, you can find that podcast searching the iTunes store. But uh, either way, I would encourage you to go listen to that one. So this week, we're continuing with Jesus' teachings on community, looking at the topic of forgiveness, uh, which is a big one. Um, so let's get started with that, but before we dive into the scripture passage, uh, I'd like to 
pause for a word of prayer. So would you uh, bow and pray with me, please? Lord Jesus, on this day when we have so much else on our minds, um, you call us to radical forgiveness. And we pray that you'd give us your grace and your spirit uh, as we struggle to make your kingdom our reality here on earth. Amen. So we're looking today at Matthew 18, the second half of the book, or the second half of the chapter, excuse me, verses 21 through 35. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can use one underneath your chairs. It's on page 800. Um, What I'd like to do is start with just the first two verses of this passage uh, where Peter said to Jesus, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. The first thing that I want you to note is that this conversation is directly tied to the thing that happened before, which is what we talked about last week. Do you remember last week, if you were here, the phrase, if another member of the church sins against you? That was kind of the starting of, of what happens if there's this uh, disconnect between two people and how the church should handle and respond to that. Um, again, I, I talked last week about repetition. When you see phrases repeated in the text, that's an indication that they are connected to one another. So even though we have a new heading here um, in, that the editors put in, I think this is still kind of connected to last week's stuff. Um, if another member of the church sins against me, and your translation may say brother or brother or sister, something like that, how often should I forgive? And you can, you can tell Peter is feeling things out a little bit here, isn't he? He's saying, Jesus, how many times should I forgive somebody if they keep sinning against me? I like to go with seven times. I mean, that's a nice round number, and it, you know, seven days of creation and um, all the sevens in the, in the Bible. Um, I'm a pretty tolerant guy, if I do say so myself. I mean, imagine, Jesus, if uh, um, somebody hit me once and then said they were sorry and I forgave them. And then it happened again and again and again and again and again and again. That's like one sin and six agains. That's, that's like really good, right? <laughs> And um, Jesus, as he so often does, sees right through what Peter is trying to do. And um, his response is basically, you're not even close. You're not even close. You need to do it um, 70 more agains. (laughs) 77 times. And um, if you have an older translation, it may say 70 times 7, which um, is like 1,000 or something. I don't know, but... um, Either way, <laughs> you take that big, lofty, self-righteous seven forgivenesses, and I'll tell you what you can do with them. Um, multiply them a bunch of times. And that's, I mean, that's a fairly dramatic teaching on its own. Seven, 77 forgivenesses. Um, and I think most people are familiar with that. Even if you didn't grow up in the church, you may have heard this 70 times 7 thing or 77 times. Um, So it stands on its own, and um, our editors here 
put it in its own section, but uh, it doesn't really have a why in it. You understand what I mean? Like, why should I forgive more than these seven times? Seven is pretty good. Like, why are you going to make me do more than that? Um, And so in the section that follows, uh, 24 through 35, Jesus goes on to tell a parable, which is just an allegorical story, about why we ought to forgive. And it is quite dramatic. And so let's take a look at that, starting in verse, uh, I I misspoke, starting in verse 23. Jesus says, "Uh, For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he began the reckoning, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And as he could not pay, his Lord ordered him to be sold, together with his wife and his children and all his possessions, and payment to be made. Now, this is just in accordance with the Levitical law uh, for slaveholding. So the slave fell on his knees before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the Lord of that slave released him and forgave the debt. But that same slave, as he went out, came upon one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him by the throat, he said, Pay what you owe. And his fellow slave fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you the exact words that the first slave had used with the king. But he refused. Then he went and threw him into prison until he would pay the debt. When his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their Lord all that had taken place. Then his Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave as I had mercy on you? And in his anger, the Lord, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Um, so let's, let's start with a very quick economics lesson because there's some um, denominations of money in that passage that maybe don't make sense to you right away. So the first slave's debt was what? How much? 10,000 talents. Um, now, a talent, one talent, was worth about 15 years of work for a laborer. And so let's bring this to dollars today. If we optimistically say that a laborer could make about $40,000 in a year here, um, one talent is um, 40,000 times 15 years uh, Time, so, so that equals uh, 600,000. And um, the debt was 10,000 times that, which is how much? Who's a math nerd in the room here? Six what? Six billion dollars. <laughs> um, or if you don't want to be thinking about, <laughs> if you don't want to be thinking about uh, the accounting there and you just would like to work it off, uh, that would take 150,000 years to work off. Okay. So, and in contrast, the denarius, which is the denomination used to describe the slaves, the second slave's debt to the first slave, uh, is about one day's wages for a labor. So, so for a hundred denarii, the the work off period would have been a hundred days. Um, not it's not a tiny sum, not insignificant, but it's uh, it's on a different scope and scale. Wouldn't you agree? From the six billion dollar, one hundred and fifty thousand years of work debt that the first slave owed the king. Um, now, clearly, Jesus is using hyperbole. He's exaggerating the, the scope of, a, of a real, what a realistic debt might be 
um, to make a point. No slave could ever rack up a $6 billion debt or 150,000 years labor worth of debt against a king or a lord. It would be an impossible sum to pay. The king would never take on that, would never allow the slave to take on that debt in the first place probably, but it would be impossible to repay it. And that fact, I think, is the whole point of the story. This is what Jesus is saying to Peter and to anybody else who wants to be skimpy with forgiveness and nickel and dime it with your brothers and sisters. Your debt, forget for a moment what somebody might owe you or have done to you. Your debt is so great that it is impossible for you to pay it back on your own. See, the, sl- the slave's first thing was, he, he said, have mercy on me and I will repay you everything. There's no, it's not going to work that way. You don't have time. And I think the same is true for us. A lot of times, we, 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 maybe we realize that we have sinned against God. That, and the scope of that sin is very large. And the consequences of that sin may be looming and torturing us. And our first response is to say to the king, I'm so sorry, I will make it better. I will pay it back. But you can't. You don't have time. If you started now and did good works every second for the rest of your life and lived to a ripe old age, you wouldn't have paid it off. You, have, you could work for 100,000 years and you'd still only be two-thirds of the way there. And of course, once you get to numbers that big, the, the percentages don't even matter. It's all metaphor. Your only choice is to throw yourself on the mercy of of God and beg for him to forgive the debt. There is no paying it back. And Jesus is like that king who showed mercy on the slave and paid it all. We sometimes sing that old hymn, Jesus paid it all. This parable brings that back home. But here's the thing, and let me, let's get to forgiveness. Once you have accepted that forgiveness and, and realized the scope of God's mercy on you, you have no choice really other than to look at the debts that others may owe you, um, whether they're literal financial debts perhaps, but more likely uh, interpersonal debts, and to forgive those. See, your forgiveness of others is the non-optional response to God's forgiveness of you. Your forgiveness of other people is your non-optional response to God's forgiveness of you. And this this theme is consistent throughout Scripture. Um, Let me read these very quickly to you. Ephesians 4.32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ has forgiven you. That's, that's the why. Remember, we need a why for these commands. Colossians 3.13, forgive each other just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Uh, and another teaching directly from Jesus, Luke 6.37-38, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive 
and you will be forgiven. And here, Jesus reverses the order, doesn't he? All these other ones are saying, well, you've been forgiven, and so you now have to forgive other people. Um, And some people say of the New Testament, well, Jesus is so nice, and Paul is so mean. Uh, But Paul, Paul put it in that order, and Jesus is putting it in the other order, saying, you want to be forgiven? Uh, guess what? Forgive other people first. Give and it will be given to you. And so I don't honestly know what more I could say about this. It's a fairly clear teaching, isn't it? God forgives you, you forgive others. You forgive others, God forgives you. And it goes that way. It's simple even if it's not easy. So let me give you um, three cautions, I think, about forgiveness. And, and it's really not fair for me to just toss these out and not go into them more deeply. But here's, here's three things that I was thinking of um, when it comes to applying the concept of forgiveness. You know, I can't, like, give you a, um, a, a DVD with, you know, a little video, three easy steps to forgiveness or, or perfect forgiveness. But um, I can do my best and kind of just tell you what I've been thinking about with um, in regards to forgiveness. First thing is this. Do not turn this teaching on its head and go around repeatedly sinning against your brothers or your sisters because you know the forgiveness is expected. It's not about them. It's about you. And so, yes, we ought to forgive each other, but let's not take advantage of each other and take advantage of the obligation that you know somebody has to forgive you. That's the first thing. The second thing is this, uh, and this is one I wish I could talk a lot more about, but I don't have time. Do not be trapped or manipulated by the difference between forgiveness and consequences for, of sin. Okay? Um, sometimes we're in community with somebody and they're repeatedly sinning against us. And I I know what you, you like, I don't have any idea what you're thinking. I know what I'm thinking, but somebody has done that to you, I'm sure. Um, and forgiveness is one thing, but continuing to, continuing on in the, in the exact same status of relationship with that going on is not, I don't think, required of you necessarily. Um, so you have to be sensitive to God's spirit and his leading on this kind of thing, um, but again, you know, the, like the kind of the, the thing I was sort of joking before about with Peter. Um, yes, Peter has to keep forgiving no matter how many times he gets smacked. Um, but he doesn't necessarily have to keep being friends with the person who's hitting him. Okay, does that, does that make any sense? Um, so that's the second one. And the third one is this. Um, do not get caught up in the game of, well, I can't forgive that sin. It's too big. Um, Jesus calls us to radical forgiveness. And uh, it's, it's pretty amazing to me that, that this sermon came up on this day. I didn't plan for that to happen at all. But it's not about the other person or the other people. It's about you. That Luke 6 passage that I, a quotation that I read a minute ago, the third one that I read from the screen, um, especially important here because in that teaching, Jesus ties uh, forgiveness to judgment. He talks about them right next to each other. God will judge the sins of other people. They are not your concern. 
Your concern is forgiveness. And the forgiveness that Christ calls us to is a radical forgiveness. It's not just forgive for the sake of being nice or forgive so that they will all know we are Christians by our love. It's forgive radically because you have received radical forgiveness from God. And it is the non-optional response to that forgiveness. Let's pray. God, as we look at this teaching of Jesus on forgiveness, it is, it is too hard for us because the pain that has been inflicted on us at times in our life is, seems impossible to forgive. Lord Jesus, we pray that the grace we have received would not only be the grace that forgives us, but would also be the grace that changes our hearts and allows us to forgive others. Your command to forgive as we have been forgiven requires your continued forgiveness of our inability to do it. So we pray for strength and courage and grace in all of our lives, in all of our relationships, that this teaching, which so signifies the ideal of your kingdom in heaven would become our reality, that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. We're going to take communion together now and continue to worship. We have a a couple of more songs to sing together. And so as the band is coming to do that, um, this table will be open to you. And uh, if you are seeking to follow Jesus and his teaching... Uh, even if you do so um, badly, <laughs> uh, maybe especially if you do so badly, because that makes you just like all the rest of us, uh, this table is open for you. Break off a piece of the bread and remember his body broken for your sins and dip it in the wine or the juice and remember his blood shed for you and for many. Um, you can also have your children participate in that with you. If they're in the classroom, you need to go get them at this point. Anyway, you can uh, do that before or after you take communion. Um, but continue to worship God and respond to His Spirit speaking to you, however it may be doing so.